What's this? I think it's a message from Daniel Sherl to all of his fans at Memories of a Moonbird, and the message is this. Let's face it, asking people for money sucks, but you got to do it. So here I am to ask you to please head over to patreon.com forward slash moonbird and show your support for the show. And if you're already a patron for the show, please tell a few friends of yours, hey, there's this really cool guy who does this really cool show and you should check it out and you should throw him a dollar or five dollars or a thousand dollars, whatever you're feeling like doing. We really appreciate it. And every nickel helps us keep the show going. So thank you so much. And with no further ado... Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello friends, I'm Daniel Sherl. Today on the show, she's a musician, actress, and all-around amazing human being who's doing her part to bring a positive awareness and healing to the world. Many people around the globe know her as Dottie, the Guinness-loving lass as part of the infamous and revered comedy show, The Washing Well Wenches, that's performed at Renaissance fairs and festivals all across the United States. And while she's loved blacking out her teeth and making people laugh, her real passion is music. Raised by musical parents, she's the front of Kristen Lynn and the Foxgloves, a band whose blues folk music has been described as, quote, a head-turning, foot-tapping, ground-breaking twist on progressive blues folk Americana style with a modern vintage sound. Wow. I've heard them live myself, and they are fantastic. But in addition to all those amazing things, she's also someone who's passionate about helping people. Her mother passed away 16 years ago, and earlier this year, she unexpectedly lost her brother. Through her own losses and grief, she feels compelled to connect with others through that process. Using her skills as an artist and a great communicator, she performs a live stream every Monday, bringing joy and positivity through music. Since her sudden loss happened, she's been opening up about her grief, and the response has been astounding. She says, quote, It's the first time I'm creating through unbelievable heartache, but wanted to move towards the pain, not away from it. Please welcome the amazing Kristen Lynn. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So great to have you here. So let's dig in. Tell everybody, where were you born and raised? Ooh, right outside of Philadelphia. Uh, Chestnut Hill, actually. <laughs> what was it like uh, when you were growing up there as a child? You know, I loved it. It was definitely, it's it's fast-paced East Coast. Grew up in uh, an Italian family. So it was a lot of cooking and food and yelling from downstairs to upstairs and playing <laughs> Uh, did you inherit some of the uh, Italian cooking skills? Uh, yes, of course I did. Well, we'll definitely talk about that a little later. What was little Kristen like as a child? Oh, Kristen. Little Kristen came out singing, dancing, laughing, wanting <laughs> to be everybody's friends. <laughs> I remember just going up to strangers all the time and being like, hi, my name's Kristen. Do you want to be my friend? So uh, I, I really loved to connect with people ever since being a little kid. That's cool. I'm curious. Did you travel growing up with your family? Yes, I traveled a lot ever since I was really little. My dad used to run um, music festivals all over the country. Oh, cool. And also in Italy and uh, Austria, a few other countries. And so when we were little, we got to travel and go on these music festivals and see all these bands, choirs, orchestras perform. And then we'd, we'd get to really experience the city. What kind of music were the festivals for? His company was called Music Maestro Please. And he had bands... Uh, choirs, high school, mostly high school orchestras, choirs, and bands that would come, and they would be adjudicated by some of the top professors of music from around the country. Mm. Would be the judges, and they would, you know, get medals and golds and bronzes, and then have a big party and experience the city. So. It was cool. Were there any particular experiences growing up that made you want to be a musician besides the festival stuff? Yeah. Oh, well, of course. I mean, both my parents were musicians, so that was one part of it. But my dad also had the Pensy Pops Orchestra in Philadelphia, and he was the conductor. Oh, cool. And I also grew up, he was a New York musician. So I grew up as a kid getting to go to these Broadway shows and him walking down to the pit orchestra and being like, Hey, John. Hey, Bob. And this is little Kristen and my kids. And we'd get a, you know, a tour of the backstage of some Broadway show. And, and then my mom, she played harp and piano and she was a songwriter. Mm. So, and she was actually nominated for a Grammy for two songs. So, you know, I came out and it was like, what instrument do you want to play? (laughs) It was like, there wasn't a choice. What was your first instrument? Piano. And well, actually I think I, 
started on violin on the Suzuki method when I was maybe three or four, but then piano and flute. I was a flautist for a long time. <laughs> Very cool. Do you still play at all or could you? I do. Um, you know, I kind of put that aside because I was really in, more into the string instruments later in life. But uh, actually lately I'm like, you know what? I really kind of, I might tuck that in a little bit in my new album. That's very cool. So Kristen, let's talk about your career for a minute and specifically the Wench Show. For anyone who hasn't been to a Renaissance Festival, and I'm sorry for you because the Renaissance Festival is a blast. uh, The Washingwell Wenches are an all-female comedy troupe that over 30 years has grown into the largest and longest-running female-fronted comedy show. It is considered by many people, and myself included, one of the highlights, if not the highlight of the Renaissance Festival. And I'm curious, what was it like to be a part of that show? Awesome. Crazy exhausting so fun so many words I mean traveling (laughs) it was a long time I was part of the show for 11 years Hmm. long time and that's you get so much love from your fans I mean they are die hard loyal fans if I ever saw they really are they you know what they're amazing they uh and it's the the energy that is really created between you know the wenches and the and the fans and the show in the moment is just Oh, if you could just like bottle that up and it's just the most amazing feeling ever. Cause there's such a connection, especially when we have those really big, huge crowds, like what you came yeah. to. Yeah. One of the things I absolutely love about the Wench show that I think it's important for listeners to understand is that it's not just a comedy show. It, it really is so much about the connection to the people. And as an example of that, I met Kristen because we went to the show and she was so funny. And uh, we just got in talking after the show one year. And then we just started to chat as fellow actors and she knows Jolene and da da da. And so then uh, the year before my father passed away, we took him to the Renaissance Festival and he was in a wheelchair. And after the show, it was you and uh, Daphne, who's played by Danielle, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Um, they took time specifically to come hang out with my dad and take funny pictures with him and make sure that he had a really great time. You know, we didn't know we were going to lose him soon after that, but it's such a, he told me during that time that what a wonderful experience it was. And so the the Wenches show is not just something fun at the Renaissance Festival. It's also a, a really important memory building thing and a, and a wonderful experience in life. And so... I get to live on air. Just thank you and Danielle both for Aww. being such a good part of my dad's life. You know? I remember your dad. He's so cute. <laughs> those pictures are amazing. I'll put those pictures on the website for your episode. Oh boy! <laughs> Tell people what, what is the hardest part of doing that show? And maybe, maybe something from behind the scenes that the fans wouldn't know. <laughs> I can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'll tell you something that is funny and actually very real. You know, 11 years these comedy partners were like a sisterhood and we're really close. We are really close and we've seen each other go through some of the hardest times in our lives. Some of the other girls have gone through loss or whatever life throws at us. Guess what? The show still has to go on. So we have a saying that we say, um, wipe your tears and paint your teeth <laughs> before you go on stage. Cause there has been times that, you know, we're the clowns, we're the comedians, we're the ones you know, making people feel good and forget about their problems. But there's the old saying is where, where does the clown go? Yeah. You know, so when having each other, it was been so amazing, but yeah, there are times where you just got to take breath, walk out on that stage and get, and it always makes you feel good to give to people. You know. Well, so listeners, if you have a Renaissance Festival near you, go check out the Washingwell Wenches and enjoy the Renaissance Fair because it is an awesome, fun day for you and or you and your family. When it comes back safely. <laughs> when it comes back safely. Correct. Yes. So let's talk about your music. I'm curious, what was your first professional job as a musician, meaning you actually got paid and didn't have to work for free? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I started off doing a lot of gigs like at different bars joey's bar mitzvah no no bar mitzvahs (laughs) but definitely some crazy weddings (laughs) where people are screaming like play twist and shout in the middle of the set like (laughs) oh my gosh but i think the first time all that really started happening is i was doing the wench show in michigan and i had another a couple of the the performers there were playing with me so we booked a couple of gigs that we would play in Ann Arbor. And there was one at this place called Hatchies. 
but I was all about making sure the musicians got paid and everyone got paid that was coming out. Yeah. So yeah, I think those were kind of my first, first gigs. Yeah. How many instruments do you play? A whole bunch. So I play piano and guitar, banjo lele. I'm actually working on the tenor banjo right now. And a banjo lele is a banjo and ukulele combination? Yes, it's ukulele tuning, but it looks and sounds like a banjo. Very cool. And flute, played flute for 13 years. And then also the spoons. (laughs) I can kill it on the spoon. (laughs) Well, so in all your travels with the band, uh, what are some of your favorite places in the world that you've traveled so far? Definitely Italy. Did you feel like you were going home when you went there? For sure. In Rome. I I would like to probably have a place there someday. Mm. I um grew up going to Italy. I would go every, you know, few years or so and we had like a lot of family friends there and you know, family and so there's always such a feeling of nostalgia when I go. And I was lucky enough to go not that long ago, obviously before everything happened. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful for that trip. I'm curious if there's some place in the world you've never been that you have your eye on that you're like, once things open up after COVID, I really want to go here before I die. Yeah, there's a couple of them. I would really, I want to go to Spain and I would like to go to Greece. I'd love to go to Alaska, actually. Yeah, my dad loved Alaska. Yeah, I just, and it's right, you know, it's, right here. (laughs) Well, your band is called Kristen Lynn and the Foxgloves. I'm curious if if that's a reference to the Foxglove flower. And if not, how did you come up with the name and what's the significance? Yes. Foxglove flower. And I'm so proud of you because so many people are like, is it like about a bunch of little foxes wearing gloves? You know, (laughs) as much as I'm like, Ooh, that's what we're like. (laughs) No. uh, Yeah. It's the the flower, the Foxglove. And a Foxglove is actually poisonous if you ingest it. But also the foxglove flower is used in heart medicine Mm. to help people. So it's really interesting, the dichotomy, like it's poisonous or it could be used in heart medicine, which I always felt with our music, like I wanted to find like a darker sound, but also something really beautiful, you know, Mm. which is now what I feel like we did find. Have you ever performed any of your mother's songs? Oh, actually, I performed one with her called Lucky Star. Uh, She would play the piano and I would sing it. And lately I've been digging through her music. It's interesting that you said that. Trying to be like, what should I, I want to cover one of these songs. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, she wrote a song that she was nominated for a Grammy for, for her mother when her mother passed away. And then I wrote a song for my mom when she passed away. And hopefully maybe one day you'll get nominated for a Grammy for, or win the Grammy. Come on, and, let's know. come on, do it. <laughs> well, if given the choice of any musician that's alive today, who would you most like to collaborate with and why? You know, I'm really drawn to Andrew Bird. Do you know? Do you, I don't. He used to play with the Squirrel Zippers, I think, a long time ago, but he's he's been doing his own thing for a long time. He's an indie musician, but he's... I mean, he's got a huge following and he's just so amazing. He's a violinist and a singer and I love his sound and uh, it's very unique. And he's not afraid to like kind of go into all different types of directions Mm -hmm. with his music. For instance, he has one album where he went to a cave and camped out and it's all experimental and it's just his violin. It's just it's amazing. But the reason I say him is because... I would love to see him and Steven, my violinist, play. And he's also pretty inspired by him, too. So that would be cool to have a meeting someday. Well, hopefully maybe he'll hear this podcast and honor your wish. I'll I'll tag him in it. So we'll see if it gets gets to him. Do you have a favorite song that you like to perform? No, I don't think I have like an absolute favorite of one of mine. Um, Right now, my head is so in this new album that I can't wait to perform these live. But I don't think I have a a favorite. Like I like to sing the song Lala that I wrote about my mother because it's a celebration. And um, everybody in the audience started doing this thing where they would they would raise a glass every time we got to the chorus, like la 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 la. And they'd all raise a glass and sing along. And that ended up being really, really moving to see, you know, like 50 people in the bar strangers like holding a glass up to my mom and singing when you write a song how do you personally know that you know quote it's right how do you know when the song's done enough that you're going to call it art and put it out into the world it's a feeling it 
when it's done, it's done. I mean, I think, especially with this process right now, the sound and these songs have been really, some of them came out extremely fast, so fast I could barely get the words down um, on the paper fast enough. And then I would play for the guys and they're like, wow, it's really beautiful. And then they'd, they'd throw something on it. And then we're like, well, I think that's done, you know? And so then going into the recording process, we've also said, we don't want to muddy the sound or have too much or keep making it, you know, like opening Pandora's box where you keep, yeah. you know, adding or this and that. So it's, I think it's a fine line of like knowing like this is not to touch it anymore. Have you ever had an experience where you're performing a song live that you've recorded and you go, oh, wow, I didn't think to do that riff there. And then you go back and add it into the song. In the oh, studio my God. Later? I mean, the thing is, like some songs that I wrote 10 years ago, you know, when I was like a baby songwriter, like just peeking out of my <laughs> shell, like, oh, hello, world. Um, <laughs> you know, now uh, playing with all these other musicians and 10 years later, like I'm playing, there's a lot of other people that have been playing with me for the last two years that, that they're my band now that they weren't before. And these guys are like insanely talented and have brought different aspects to some of my really old music that it's like, just from playing it live, yeah. it's like, wow, we got to re-record that. Wow. We got to re-record this one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, what's the most challenging aspect of being a musician for you personally? Hmm. The most challenging Thing I think would be right now in this time, not being able to play live. What about in non-COVID time? Um, I think the person, like my personality of when I'm creative is when I don't put any rules on myself. So, you know, when I want to try to follow a schedule and like eat a certain way and like make sure I get this workout in and da 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 and follow that self-employed, you know, schedule. <laughs> um <laughs> If I am too rigid with myself, I I will damper my creativity where it's like creativity comes like at any time. Like I'm still in my pajamas and wearing glasses and like I just want to play the piano. And and so to like allow allow that and not put too many rules around when that's going to happen. Yeah, there's times I've been writing and it's like two in the morning and I want to go to bed and suddenly I'm like, I have got the best idea. And if I know that if I don't jump up and go to the computer and start writing it down, I'm going to lose it. And so you're like, really brain? You got to do this now? Yeah. I was on my way to sleep. But but it's you can't <laughs> schedule it. You can't be like from four to five, I'm going to write a song. And <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know why I sounded like that. But <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Have you ever considered quitting music? No. Okay. <laughs> That's an easy no answer. Way. <laughs> uh, what's the weirdest or most unique experience that you've had during a show in your career so far? I definitely had somebody bite my leg once on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty uh, uncomfortable. Just, <laughs> why? When I was doing a comedy show and like we have audience interaction and he was on stage and this guy was out of control and uh, he bit my leg. But yeah, we got that under control real fast and it, he was trying to be funny. I should explain that a little more. So there was <laughs> <laughs> context is everything, right? In the washing well wind show, there's a part in the show where I did a climb on somebody where I, he's like doing this wench press situation and then I climb on him. And so I, and it's really funny part of the show. And anyway, I, I was first, I, I was a baby at this like 11 years ago and I threw my leg over and was climbing on this guy and he just like grabbed me and took a bite of the inside of my leg and I got down <laughs> real fast and um that was really inappropriate and uncalled for I did not like that at all Kristen do you think being an artist has made you a better person yeah absolutely how so because you know as an artist you're always trying to better yourself you know that you never get to a place where you're like I've made it I've figured it out you know, like the more you change in life and the more you learn in life, the better artists you become and these experiences that you're having and the more you grow. And, you know, that's why artists change. And if you're constantly trying to find ways to be a better person and to work on yourself, that is going to show through your art. If you had to try and choose something, what do you think is the most valuable lesson you think that you've learned so far from music? Oh, uh, don't be afraid. Go for it. Keep going. Because like I said, there's no, as an artist, there's no ceiling, right? I don't feel like there is. I feel like you can constantly get better. You can constantly rediscover things mm -hmm. about your talent. 
And um, absolutely, I'm a very different musician now than I was when I first started, like completely, like to the point where I can't even go back and listen to that first album. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> but well, um, honestly, that's anything. That's any any artist evolves, you know. And I don't think you should ever be, you should ever look backwards and be like, oh god. You should be like, yeah, cool. That's when I started. Uh, no, know? totally. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like not, but for me, I I don't want to like listen to it. So, <laughs> If you didn't work in the arts, what do you think you'd do for a living? I think I would be some kind of, I don't know if I'd want to be a doctor. I don't think I could handle that, but I would still want to help. I would want to help people. So maybe um, some kind of therapist or social worker or, you know, a nurse, some, some, somehow helping people. Well, speaking of helping people, let's talk about your live stream and the grief stuff. You lost your mom 16 years ago and your brother just five months ago. And if you had to try to put into words, how have those two losses been different for you and how have they been the same? Well, they are very different. When I lost my mom, I lost her to breast cancer and there was a year. And how old were you at the time? I was a baby, early 20s. Um, when I lost my mom, I, you know, the breast cancer came back. And when it came back, I knew that this was, you know, not going to get any better. And watching her go through that for pretty much a year um, and the suffering and that pain and her being strong through that was really the hardest thing to witness but the most inspiring because she was so strong and, but, uh, you know, eventually it just spread. And when I, when she was passing, there was a feeling of, I felt selfish to want to keep her here because she was in so much pain and her body was giving out. And so um, there was a sense of relief, you know, when she died because she could be free with my brother he was suffering too, but he was suffering in a different way. And I, it just came as a shock. And during COVID, I didn't get to say goodbye. Mm. I don't know what's worse. Watching the person you love the most pass and getting to say goodbye or watching your loved one suffer and not ever getting to say goodbye. It's horrendous. But also, depending on the relationship, you know, I had a very different relationship with my mom than I did with my brother. And at some point, you do prepare yourself for your parents. And not not when you're that young to pass, you know. Yeah. But Well, I think you can try to prepare. I, I, I really tried to prepare for my dad as he got older, what it would be like to lose him. And I talked to some people who had lost their parent. And I thought I was prepared. And then it happened. And I realized I wasn't prepared at all. No, I don't know. No, no one really, I don't think ever is prepared for this tremendous amount of grief and loss. Because we don't talk about it enough, I think. I agree 100%. And um, so it does become shocking. But the, the difference with my brother was... That's like a part of my body. It felt like losing like a like a part of my body. It's my and my younger brother, somebody that I grew up protecting. So, ooh, it's been very very difficult. Well, when we chatted offline, and as I mentioned in the intro, you said that you've decided to move towards the pain this time. That's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I'm curious, how are you doing that? Uh, have there been any specific things that have helped you take that journey? Yeah. So um, the first thing, when it all happened, it was very shocking and horrible. <laughs> and especially during these times, you know, with the restrictions. So I just took like a month and a half off from everything. Like anything that I was doing, I stopped. And the first thing I brought back was music when I was ready to start playing again. Because also I was very connected to my brother through music. We played the, I'm, I have, you know, my mom's grand piano um, that we grew up with. And when he was here, because he was living here for the last year, we would play the piano together. And he, he was, That's wonderful. He, he was an amazing musician, even though he didn't really pursue it. He just, he had like the gift. He had the talent. He could play by ear. So we were always very connected through music. So when I got back to it, it was really emotional for me to even play the piano, but also connected me right away. And 
I was telling Steven, my violinist, who's also my musical partner, um, that, and my fiance, that I think I'm ready to go towards this. I've never been in a creative situation where I was going to try to create in this amount of pain. And I immediately, you know, I've been working with a therapist and a grief counselor. And I think it's very, very important to talk to somebody when you're going through these like really bigger, larger than life feelings and emotions. And so since I've been speaking with her, I just felt courageous enough to go, I'm going to go towards it. So what we did was I rented a cabin up near Lake Hollywood or Lake Arrowhead, sorry, Lake Arrowhead. Gregory Lake, where it's very quiet, like it's out of the city. You couldn't hear anything but the crickets. And Stephen and Michael, Michael's my fiance, and also he's been playing drums with me. We went up to this mountain house. We brought all of our instruments, everything, and we set it up. And um, we just we took it as a writing retreat. And both of them, the cool thing about it was they both handled it with such care. Because, you know, Stephen, he was there when, when, of course, my fiance was there with me through every step of the way when my brother died. Stephen also, like, came and played music at the funeral, and he helped me. I had to put all that together. Mm. He helped me get that together. So they were both people that were really by my side, so I felt like I could be vulnerable around them and, like, be in this pain. And they just jumped in with me. They just went into that pain with me. That's wonderful. It wasn't like a happy getaway vacation trip. <laughs> it was very painful and, and very sad and letting all these raw feelings come out and then putting music to it was like, whew. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. I mean, basically eight songs came out in two days. And we got home. We were so excited. We just started recording immediately. And now you have this live stream where you share your music and joy and positivity. Uh, but you were telling me that one of the amazing things that's happened from it is that as you've talked about some of the loss and grief, other people on the live stream have connected with you to share their pain. And it's become a wonderful place to not only have joy and positivity and music, but also kind of commune in this human experience. Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing to be connecting like that through a tiny little phone on Facebook. You know, we have this group called the Fox Club Wranglers. For anybody that is into our music, we call them our wranglers. And, you know, sometimes we need a little wrangling and kind of fun like that way. And, um, you know, so the wranglers, they've been tuning in every Monday night. And when my brother died, I posted, you know, that he he had passed suddenly and all of these amazing wranglers and like some people I know, some people I don't know um, that are fans of the music. They were like, we're here for you. Take your time. We're supporting you. So they were like right there kind of watching the journey. So when I came back, I was like, I have to be really honest and real with what's going on. I talked, I started talking about it and playing a couple of songs that, connect me to my brother and the loss. Like there's a song by Alison Krauss called Away Down the River. Mm. It's one of the most beautiful songs. And it's just saying that they're just away down the rim, a river, a hundred yards or more waiting for you, you know? And, and when you think of them to like laugh and think of the memories and, and to not hold on to the sadness because they're just right there. And so I sang this song and it's just one of the most beautiful songs. And I talked about the loss of my brother and people are reaching out now and telling me about their loss and that they've, you know, lost their wife or their mom or their father just recently. And it's really amazing that like, and, and then that this group community of people, Wranglers are supporting each other. And it's just, it's just really cool. That's something that is the scariest thing to talk about ever you just open up a little and start sharing that, you just realize you're not as alone as you might feel like you are. Well, with your instinct to try and help people, do you feel compelled at this point to try and make something else out of this experience and, and provide some kind of future platform for people to commune on this? I'll tell you, I will keep rolling as much as I can with what's coming to me. I mean, it, on my birthday was five days after I found out 
and I was, it was horrible. But I just got this like surge, this feeling like, I think I'm supposed to help people. Like that feeling of like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why do all my family members have to die? Why do I have to go through this insane loss? Like those, those feelings that come up. And I just heard this voice, like, because I'm supposed to help people. And I don't know what that means or where that goes, but I just know that musically, I know that the more that I'm honest and the more that I'm truthful about these personal hard experiences, the more people are saying it's speaking to them. So I'm just going to keep doing that and see. I think what you're doing is beautiful. And I encourage people to take part and in their own corner of the world, if there's somewhere that they can help their community, it's something we should all come together on. Absolutely. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Agreed. Totally agreed. These are big, big feelings, big, scary feelings that they're just not as scary anymore when you go towards them. Very well said. You know, having six siblings myself, I'm really curious, what traits do you think you shared with your brother and what things do you think you inherited from your mother? Well, my mom was such a fighter. You know, she was like always told us as kids, like be strong and with grace and class. And my dad, too, I want to throw him in there because he, I think I definitely have, I'm a mix between my mom and my dad. And my dad has so much empathy. He won't even let a little kitten out there not have water outside, you know, like. And then my my brother, you know, we're the same DNA. I can see my brother in me. He and I could see all the parts, like even things that he was struggling with. And also, I think that he never really did get over the loss of my mom. I don't think you ever do. I mean, I don't know that there's ever, I don't think as human beings, we ever get over it. My cousin, when my dad died, she said, I said, said, how long did it take you to get over the loss of your father? And she just gently squeezed my arm and she said, oh, sweetie, you don't ever get over it. You just learn to live with it. Right. And I feel that way. And I felt that way my whole life with my mom. But I think some people don't even learn to live with it. True. And Very true. I think that is something that he struggled with. But I could see, you know, but one of the traits I did get from my brother that I'll say is he was hilarious. <laughs> and I don't mean to pat myself on my own back, but I'm pretty funny sometimes. You are pretty. I, I would agree. <laughs> I totally agree. As your friend, I think you're absolutely hilarious. He was so funny. And, you know, we would do we would be funny together. So when things got like really heavy, dark, deep, you know, talk about it barely. And then it's like, you want a sword fight? Like for no reason, I have these swords. Like, where'd you get these swords? You know, so. (laughs) Well, what advice would you give to other people who are currently experiencing grief? I would say definitely talk to a therapist. There are so many, there are so many avenues now with teletherapy. There, there's a lot of things that are available, programs, it doesn't even have to be a program, it could just be like, it, however you're comfortable. But to really talk to, to somebody that can guide you towards these big feelings and emotions, because I think as human beings, we're always looking for a place of comfort and, and looking how to comfort ourselves in these very painful times. And might be pushing away some of those things that you need to experience and let kind of flow through and flow out of you. So you don't hold on to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I would say to not be afraid to talk about it. I just want to add on to the tail end of that, that I think the most profound lesson I've gotten from grief is actually a, a, a very simple quote that I read when I was going through some stuff. And it just said, grief has no expiration date. My dad says that grief and it's been devastating for him to lose a son from a parent losing a child. Like, but he uh, says it comes in weight, like colors. He says it comes in different colors and you just don't know what color it's going to be. And it's so poetic. And um, I, 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 I feel the same thing. It, it, and also that grief, you know, even when I went through the grief with my mother passing years ago, it was like, okay, there's, you know, all the different stages of grief. I'm learning now. The stages, they're not linear. They're not in order. You know, the waves come and sometimes I'm knocked down with, you know, the most intense sadness that I just need to cry for like a night 
<laughs> and sometimes I'm angry and sometimes I'm, you know, sometimes I just like laughing about some of the funny things that have happened. So it's just to, to not feel like, like you're saying, like the, once I get through all these stages, like a beginning, a middle and end, like, okay, I've gotten through it. That it's just. Well, it's funny you say that because when I was initially grieving my father, I had read up on the stages of grief and I, no one had told me, I thought they progress naturally in that order. Yeah. And I was very confused why I was on like step six <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, but I hadn't experienced the other one. And then anyway, this, no one, I, I didn't really talk about it. This is why I tell people you should talk about it. Um, no one had told me that they can come in any order at any time. And it's not like this mathematical equation exactly. you just step through. So, yeah. So it was actually Jolene. Uh, Jolene was like, you know that those don't come in order. It's just a list of things you will experience. <laughs> Like, no, no one told me that. You're like, now I'm going back to negotiating. I thought I've already gone through that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I am curious. Do you have a really funny or cool story about your mom or your brother that you'd like to share? Yeah, I have so many stories about him, of course, like us being funny together. But the one thing that really wrapped up my brother, he's a personal trainer, by the way, like very good looking. Everybody was in love with Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew how good looking he was. Oh my God. So many selfies. But he used to he used to wear this shirt that said, I don't sweat, I sparkle, <laughs> which was totally him. And so now when I'm having a hard time or I need to push myself, like trying to work out again and feel good in my body, my sister and I are saying, hashtag Jimmy strong. Wow. That's cool. Yep. Helping me through. That's very cool. Well, Kristen, I'm going to turn it over to some of the more fun life questions and silly stuff. I'm curious, what's the most useless talent that you have? Oh, I can do this, which is when I put my thumb, oh shoot, I gave it away. Okay. When I put my thumb here and make my thumb do that. Yes. The thumb disappearing trick from second thumb, grade. Yes. But it looks really good. Like it does some look people, good. That's impressive. I'll have to, I'll have to put a picture of that on the website as well. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? My dad's been given some good advice lately. They tend to do that. He said, sempre, sempre avanti, in Italian, which means always forward. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, actually. I'm uh, I'm going to steal that. Thank your father for it. <laughs> yes. That actually, that actually came from a famous conductor, Paul Laval, that he worked with. Sempre avanti? Sem sempre avanti. I love it. Forward. What was your favorite childhood book? Oh, The Giving Tree. Nice. And what was what was the first book you read or movie you saw that made you cry? Bambi. <laughs> that and Dumbo. Like, why do they always got it with the moms? And then, you know. Did you ever notice that after you lose a parent, you don't, you don't, there's a German word for this. I can't, what is it? It's like, it's like when you buy a new car and suddenly you see your car a million times on the road with other people, but you never noticed that everyone else was driving that, yeah, that kind of vehicle. Totally. After you lose a parent, you're like. Holy crap, they talk about the death of a parent a lot in movies and television. Especially in Disney. Man. Uh, are there any books that you think should be mandatory reading for all human beings? I loved Paolo Coelho. Um, have you read? The Alchemist? Yes. It's one of my favorite books. It's on my top three everyone should I read. I love yeah, I The Alchemist. What do you think you're going to be like when you're 80 years old? Hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to wear, I, I'm going to want to wear some like weird jewelry and like, like I want to wear a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, like cool outfits and just tell, just be on the prowl. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll probably hit on younger men and uh, <laughs> just be funny about it. <laughs> That's hilarious. What do you do with your spare time? What are your hobbies? Getting better at Italian. I got Duolingo. Have you heard of the app Duolingo? Oh, yeah. I used it to try and learn German before we went to Germany. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. I failed miserably. Oh, I just want to say. German's hard, though. <laughs> yeah. It is hard. I'm just uh, trying to keep, continue to commit to that. I would like to become completely fluent. I can understand and speak pretty well, but I want to become 100% fluent. So working on Italian. And also, um, I love to cook. Me too. Well, that actually segues beautifully, thank you for the handoff, into my next question, which was, do you have a favorite food? I don't have a favorite food because I love all food. <laughs> I really love all different types. Of food. Oh, there's got to be something you don't like. Maybe liver. Okay. Uh, but my thing is now is like, oh, can I just try to cook it? You know, like 
for instance, Thai food has always been like, I have no idea how this magic is made and I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm just going to get the... But then lately I started learning how to make these curries and I was like, oh my gosh, I can make this curry that I'd love to get, you know? So that's kind of exciting um, because my whole life it's always been Italian, but I also, that's my comfort food. And I, that's the way I cook. It's like all olive oil, all garlic, pretty much and everything. I actually used to do the jarred sauce thing. <gasps> uh, I know for years. And then one of my, one of my friends is a chef and she was like, how dare you? Yeah. It is so easy to make your own red sauce and it tastes better. You should just try it. And I was like, I don't know. So then I actually found like it was either Julia Child's recipe or some famous chef's recipe. And I thought, I'm just going to try this at home. And then I made it. I threw a few more onions in cause I like a lot of onion. And anyway, I don't ever want to go back to jarred sauce because the sauce I make at home now, and it's so easy. I mean, I throw the crap in a pot, I boil it down for whatever amount of time, and then I freeze it in pint containers. And I just, I use it for my homemade pizza. I use it for pasta. It's amazing. There are different ways to make that sauce too. I have like a couple different, depending on like, if you're going to do meatballs or if you're going to do like eggplant, par you know, whatever. I make a really, really good eggplant Parmesan. It's like. See, now we've talked about this on the show before. Eggplant is pretty much the devil's diarrhea as far as I'm no. concerned. I don't like it. I don't really like Never it. I my eggplant parmesan. It's, it's like... It's going to be a hard sell, Kristen. You, and actually, it's funny because my brother never liked it growing up. And when he was here, well, you know, last year I made the eggplant... Because it's like a seven-hour deal. Like, you got to, like, you have to sweat the eggplants and, like, make the homemade sauce, everything. And um, he ate it and he was like, Damn, Kristen, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. Like, I really like this, and I never liked eggplant. I compare eggplant to the Impossible Burger. It's one of those things that you're like, you could make it, and I'm sure it's delicious. And I would go, oh, this is very nice, surprisingly delicious. Right. But it, if I could have chicken parmesan, I'm going to choose the chicken. Whereas, like, I could eat an Impossible Burger and go, oh, it has the texture of beef, and it kind of tastes yeah. pretty close. and. But if I want a burger, I'm just going to get a burger. You know what I mean? Right. So it's uh, my New York just came out. If I want a burger, I'm going to get a burger. The chicken parmesan is so, it's a different flavor, though. It's a different flavor. It's a glorious flavor. It is, but it's different. <laughs> going to make you eat this eggplant parmesan at some point. It's a deal. Kristen Lynn, if you were elected president of the United States tomorrow, mm. what are the first three things you would do? I would not. I wouldn't take the job. Let's say you have no, to for some reason. I don't, don't want to be president ever. <laughs> Okay, next question. <laughs> if you could sit for four hours in a really cool old-timey pub with one person from all of human history, alive or dead, excluding your own family members, Jesus, Moses, Mohammed, or any prophet, who would you sit with, what would you drink, and what would you want to ask them? Ooh, I think I'd want to talk to Betty White. All right, so you're sitting in a beautiful old-timey pub with Betty White. What are you going to drink, and what are you going to ask her? I feel like she would like have a beer. You know what I mean? I feel like I don't I don't know if she, if she would, but like I I could see us going like, you know what? I don't do this very much, but you want to have a Guinness? Like I could maybe something like that. I feel like she first of all, I love the Golden Girls. And it's interesting because when I was going through all this tremendous heartache like really bad in the beginning, I watched the Golden Girls. Like the Golden Girls actually like got me through the hardest time in my life. And I think a lot of people can say that about them. But as far as an actress goes, comedically, I feel like I've always played characters that were along the line of Betty White's character, Rose. So I would just want to talk to her and connect with her about, hey, what, it, what it's been like to be a woman in this industry for I mean, how many decades now? So you and Betty White have your Guinness and you've done the schmoozing part. And now you lean back in your creaky old chair and you want to lay out the first big question. What would it be? What was it like in Hollywood when you started to what is it like now for her personally? Excellent question. What's your guilty TV pleasure? I love Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy with the journey of life overall so far? I mean, we don't necessarily get to choose. We, we just, we choose, we can only choose what's best for us and where our soul is taking us, no matter what's happened. I'm happy that I get to be the person that I want to be. I mean, that's a freedom not a lot of people actually have. I think that's an incredibly wonderful 
thing that's a huge blessing, as people like to say. It's wonderful. If you could continue to live a healthy life, and I stress healthy, how long do you think you'd want to live? Oh, I'm I'm going to be kicking it up into the old age. I feel like I'm just barely in the middle of my life. Are you afraid of dying? No. And that changed because I think I was before. And then when my brother died, I told Michael, I'm not afraid of dying, which I don't think he wanted to hear because he's my fiance. And, you know, <laughs> again, bringing up heavy things. But um, I have an angel army waiting for me. Hmm. Just down the river. And it's going to be, when that time comes, it will be beautiful. But I have a lot to do before I get go. If you could go back in time to when you were 12 years old, what would you tell yourself? This is funny. Have you been talking to my therapist? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, I would tell myself, don't be afraid to be who you are. These braces are coming off. Your hair is going to grow. It's not going to look like this weird short perm situation. I know you wanted it to look like Mariah Carey and it doesn't, but it's okay. And um, to keep standing up for yourself. Don't be afraid. Amen. What do you think is the purpose of art? Well, art imitates life. Life imitates art. I think we're about to be in a renaissance. Wait, how so? With great tragedy and adversity and difficulty is when it's a necessity for art. I agree. Just as much as I'm going towards my own personal pain, it's a necessity. Writing music is a necessity for me. It's my comfort that I hope helps people with their grief. But there are all different types of artists that it will be a necessity for them to create. And I'm really excited for that to see what's going to happen, what's going to come out. I mean, some of the greatest artists of our time have come out of like, really hard times, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that that even grieving, not about necessarily the death of a loved one, but just grieving about some of the stuff we go through as human beings creates some of the most incredible art. One of my podcast guests, uh, Warren Brush, talked about this quite a bit, is the underlying grief that human beings may not necessarily know what how to identify what it is, but we all feel as part of just being human. I think fundamentally it creates incredible art. And I agree with you about a renaissance. I think as soon as we fix some things politically and in the world and hopefully get back on track with fixing the environment, I think people will feel a sense of relief of having gone through something so difficult. And we will will see great influx of incredible art in the world. I think so. Mm -hmm. What does success in life look like to you? Oh, just being true to who you are family. If, if when I die, you know, I have family and friends around me that love me, then, then I did something right. What is your spirit animal? A lioness. It used to not be that. It used to be like a stag deer or something, but now, you know, I actually, a week after I found out my brother died, I had a dream, a very poignant dream about this gorgeous lioness who walked right up to me and I was scared at first and she laid in front of me as protection. And I have been feeling this um, ferociousness that has happened with the change of the loss of my brother and being an older sister and a protector, you know, but this, um, this like unbelievable strength, you know, and the lioness is she's, the ultimate protector. It's kind of a kind of a rebirth for you. Absolutely. There are some things that I would let fly in my past because I was being nice and that is never going to happen again. Oh, you and me both. After I lost my dad, I just instantaneously knew, oh, I will not ever allow that to be present in my life again. Yep. Well, Kristen, as you know, the last thing we do on the show is my little fun game called 299 Philosophical and Life Questions with Moonbird, where you get to pick two numbers from 1 to 299. I'm going to ask you those two questions. What are your two numbers? Drum roll. 13. 13 and? 7. 7 and 13. Believe it or not, number 7 is the most asked question on my podcast, which is, what's something you're not good at? Uh, I... I'm not good at um, how was it like a, a waterboarding, but it's on your knees. What's that called? Like a knee boarding? Yep, knee boarding. So I'm horrible at that. Mm. I've only done it once, and uh, I fell over a lot, and there was a lot of water in my nose, and I've never done it since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, number 13, we actually already asked on the show. So could you give me another number, please? I got it. 35. 35. Do you judge a book by its cover? Never. You really don't. I, I really believe that you never know what somebody is going through. Yeah. And you never, you never know the pain and suffering somebody is going through. And I think that we should be able to, as human beings, see our fellow humans in that way with love and acceptance and not judging (laughs) by the way somebody looks. I 100% agree. And that is a wonderful note to leave things on. Kristen, I can't thank you enough for being here and having the courage and bravery to share about your life experiences. And if people want to hear your amazing music, where can they go? You can find us on Spotify under Kristen Lynn, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-Y-N-N, or iTunes, same thing, Kristen Lynn. Uh, we're Kristen Lynn in the Fox Gloves that you can find us online, kristenlynnintheFoxgloves.com. And that's our handle for all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, sign up now to be a Wrangler. Yeah. be a, Join our Wrangler page. It's super fun. It's a fun group of people. And soon enough, hopefully by spring of next year, we hope fingers crossed. Maybe you guys will be back out there playing again. The world will have a vaccine and we'll be able to see you live on stage. We'd love. We can't wait to play live again. Until such time, Kristen, thank you so much for coming in today and uh, wish you the best of luck with everything. I can't wait to hear the new album and big hugs. Thank you. Friends and listeners, if you'd like to hear Kristen Lynn and the Foxglove's new album, it comes out tomorrow, October 27th, everywhere online that you can find music from iTunes to Amazon to Spotify, etc. And if you're listening to this after October 27th, well, what are you doing listening to me? You should be out there listening to their music. Go, go, go. Click and get that new album and check check it out. And while you're all surfing the web, please head over to patreon.com forward slash moonbird and support this show. Even a dollar really helps us keep the lights on and I appreciate it. And if you'd like even more moonbird than that, and who wouldn't head on over to memoriesofamoonbird.com or visit me on social media at memoriesofamoonbird. Stay safe. Stay safe.